Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this day, for the privilege of um, being here in your presence. And today, as uh, Scott presents on media, we ask that you will just be with him in a powerful way. You will speak through him, that our ears will be opened and our hearts will be uh, soft to be willing to follow whatever it is that you're trying to tell us. We just thank you so much for um, Scott and the message that you've laid on his heart today. So um, just continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer, Gail, and thank you for having me again. I love this track. You know, there's, there's nothing more important than the education and training of our children and our youth. And um, I'll, I'll share something with you. you. You may have heard me say this in the past, but for those who, uh, who, who haven't, I want to emphasize this again because this is really at the, at the baseline and core of why I like to share on things that relate to families and children. And by the way, if you came in thinking you were going to hear how to share your faith as a family, you're going to hear in these first few slides why it's important and then come back Wednesday for that session, okay? Because we switched Mondays and Wednesdays. So I was going to be on Wednesday and now I'm here on Monday and Amy will be on Wednesday instead of Monday. I'll be on an airplane to California on Wednesday. So why is this important? I want to think about the three most important events in the history of redemption, okay? The three most important time periods or monumental experiences, the Exodus, when, it, when, when the Jews came out of, of, of Egypt, and then they were given the law on Mount Sinai, and then they were taken into the Promised Land. We'll call that all one, one thing, okay? Big time, God's beginning, his movement with his people. Then, the first coming of Christ. Second most important event, definitely, the second coming of Christ. Uh, sorry, the first coming of Christ, with, with the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, all of it. Then the second coming, and the time we're in right now, the time of the judgment. So that's three. Exodus, first coming, second coming. What do all three of these have in common as it relates to our children? Two things. There was something positive and something negative. Do you remember what child it was that saved Moses' life so that he could become the leader of God's people? What child was it that saved his life? Do you remember? It was his sister, Miriam. So a child played a key role in the whole Exodus narrative, Miriam. Then at the first coming of Jesus, who was it that shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord, when all the Pharisees were grumpy and saying, tell these children to be quiet. It was the children, wasn't it? Now look at this quotation from Testimonies, Volume 6. It says, As the children sang in the temple courts, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So in these last days, Children's voices will be raised to give the last message of warning to a perishing world. Huh. So, as it just was in the past, Miriam playing an important role, the children at the temple, same thing in the last days. The children will play a key role in, in presenting the final message of truth and warning and hope and salvation to the perishing world. But there's also another quote on this. When heavenly intelligences see that men are no longer permitted to present the truth, the Spirit of God will come upon the children. And they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth, which the older workers cannot do, because their way will be hedged up. In the closing scenes of this earth's history, many of these children and youth will astonish people by their witness to the truth, which will be born in simplicity, yet with spirit and power. In the near future, many children will be endued with the Spirit of God, and will do a work in proclaiming the truth to the world that at that time cannot well be done by the older members of the church. 
Is God going to use the children powerfully in the last days? When, when laws and restrictions are placed upon adults to do the work of ministry, the children will be able to get away with it, and God's going to use them powerfully, just like he did in the Scandinavian Reformation, with the children coming, having the Spirit of God come upon them powerfully, and they would speak the truths that were presently important at that time. So if that was the case, three times in a row... Do you think the devil is going to allow this to happen without a, uh, a counter plan? What happened at the time of Pharaoh? What, did he, what was his edict to the children, do you remember? Throw all the baby boys in the river. And then at the time of Herod, it was kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem. And, and our day today, we're dealing with the same thing. An attack upon the children and upon the family. And that's why I'm sharing about media with you today. Because there's probably nothing more in our lives that disrupts our relationships with our family today than media, than just being glued to entertainment, being on our phones constantly. In fact, look at this. Martin Lidstrom was the neuromarketing expert at, at the company Apple. And they did research on your brain and how it interacts with your phone, okay? And what they found is, what happens is you have a very specific relationship with your iPhone. What we learned from a very recent study we did was that there were actually two activations happening for people who are in love with their iPhones. Did you hear what I said? In love. Because we actually realized from the study that the same area of the brain that is activated when you are in love with someone is activated when you are in love with your iPhone. Isn't that like weird and creepy and alarming and scary at the same time and laughable? Like all of it? I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Uh, people are in love. They, they love. They're, you know, usually you think of, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my children. But now we love our phones. Do you see how there's a competitor now intruding in on the family and our relationship with our children and with our home, in our homes? George Barna also found in his research that not, not only are we in love with our media, but he looked at entertainment media and people are absolutely addicted to it. He says, media exposure has become America's most widespread and serious addiction. So if we are in love with and addicted to our media, there's a pretty good chance that this is going to wreak havoc in our lives and in our families. But there's a deliberate agenda here. I mentioned that this is Satan's plot and plan to disrupt God's purpose for family and for the children. And how about this statement from HBO CEO Richard Plepler? top, you know, uh, media mogul elite here, the CEO of HBO said in an interview, what we're in the business of doing is building addicts, building video addicts. So we're trying to get people addicted to our media is what he said. Now we live in a time where basically parenting is being outsourced. We no longer take ownership of our role and job and calling in our culture today. And there's a statement that jumped off of the pages of child guidance to me as I was reading it. And it's one of those slam you in the face, convict you, you know, poke you in the eye, wake up call quotes. So brace yourself for it. We need this kind of tough medicine sometimes from the Lord. Parents give their children to Satan with their own hands, like the apostate Jews making them pass through the fire to Molech. You know, it's easy to look back on those ancient pagan religions and how horribly cruel they were. But, you know, that was only destroying the children's bodies. Today, 
We hand our children over to the mainstream media and the entertainment industry to essentially raise and train and educate our children according to worldly ways, thus sacrificing their souls to the enemy. And that's why two of the seminars that I routinely do, the one on media, media on the brain, which you're hearing bits of today, plus some new information on that, and this, the DVD set called Schooled, this exposes the other thing. I mean, what do kids do during their whole childhood, typically? After, you know, yeah, after age, you know, four or so, they're either, today, they're either sleeping, eating, or, and some of this happens at the same time, if they're eating and watching TV at the same time. So you got sleeping, time, eating time, and then you got the time spent with media, and you got the time spent in a desk at a worldly public school. And that's what's training and raising the children. And this is the devil's attack. He's not throwing them in the river or doing Herod's type of edict, although 20% of children never make it out of the womb. So there is actually an attack upon the unborn, literally, physically. But we're talking about the spiritual angle today. Indeed, this is happening in alarming ways. The children now are spending 53 hours of screen time per week. Those are old numbers, actually. But 53 hours of screen time per week. We also have 5 million video gamers who are playing over 40 hours of video games per week. 19 million gamers are addicted to video gaming. Now, by the way, 83% of kids have a gaming console in their home. And this is an addictive device, okay? It's actually identified as an addiction in the psychiatry manual. And so if you think about it along those lines, we would never take our kids to the casino, right? We wouldn't uh, expose them to, you know, pornography or cigarettes or, you know, uh, alcohol or other addictive things. But 83% of them have the gaming console. Teens today spend nine hours per day on entertainment media of various kinds, from social media to video games to movies to worldly music. Nine? Now, they're going to school, too. So it's like, how do you find nine hours? Teens are spending nine hours per day on entertainment media and doing media for school also. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're doing educational media. And of course, this is a helpful tool and device, right? I forgot to bring the DVDs for Gail to give as the, as the, uh, as the giveaway for the drawing. And I was texting my wife, Cammy, can you please bring the uh, Media on the Brain mini seminar and the, uh, the Captivated DVD, because I forgot to bring them for Gail. So I'm thankful for media, right? We use media to present camp meeting over the internet. We have DVDs, our ministry, you know, Media on the Brain is a DVD set. So using media wisely is an important and good thing. So you've got kids using media for educational purposes. That's really great. But nine hours per day on what kind of media? Just sheer entertainment, right? Just sheer fluff and meaningless web surfing and social networking and all of this. It starts to crowd out everything else in your life, particularly your relationships within the family. And by the way, just as a side note, while I mentioned the uh, educational media, they recently did a study on, I, I, I have to throw this in here. They, they did a study on reading off screens versus reading the same text in a book, okay? You might assume, it's the same text, you might assume there's gonna be no difference, right? There is a difference, there's two differences. First of all, the first study that was done years ago in Israel, they found that reading comprehension just was better when you read it off paper. So don't toss out those books. Don't put everything on an iPad necessarily, right? There's nothing evil about it, but you do get better comprehension from reading books. 
Also what they found was you, you can actually be better on a screen at, at detailed fact collecting, like identifying individual facts, but without context and meaning and perspective. Because that's kind of how we surf the web, right? I mean, you've you got a tab here and a tab there, and you're flipping here and you're clicking on that link and you're all over. So we accustom our brains to reading on screens that way where we're kind of fact collecting. But the danger there is if we're not getting the perspective and the, and the ideas and the big picture, other people might be doing our thinking for us, right? So when you read in books, we've, we've conditioned our minds to read it differently in the sense that you're reading more thoroughly, reading more text, and taking in the deeper meaning and, and wider context. So just a little bonus information, but let's continue with the stats. Years ago, it was estimated that the average child by the age of six will spend more time watching television than he will spend in conversation with his father in his entire life. Now, when I say like that quote about handing our children over to Molech, that's not an exaggeration. The average child will spend more time watching television by the age of six than spend in conversation with his father in his entire lifetime. That's a sad reality. Now, they, they found some more research. I'm giving you some bullet points on some new information that's come out here. Um, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, DLPFC, that won't be on the test. But basically what they found is there's this area in, in, in the brain that connects with other areas of the brain. It's called the DLCFP, DLPFC. And this area is in gamers is hyper-connected to other areas. Now what does that mean? Does that matter? Video game is rewiring, rewiring our brains to the point where this hyper-connectivity is actually a signature of, uh, of lack of impulse control. And so, and so, you know, hyperactive types of disorders are coming from that lack of being able to control your impulses. Video gaming also, in one week of video gaming, they found that over 10 hours, a little, little over an hour a day, so 10 hours total for a week, they found after one week of video gaming, the frontal lobe of, of these subjects was less active. And so frontal lobe is where you have lots of important spiritual things happening. And we can talk about that later if we have time. But here's some more bullet points for you. Let me skip that one. American uh, Association of Pediatrics, American Academy of Pediatrics, by the way, came out and said, years ago, they said, children under age three should not watch any television at all. Yeah, you knew about that. And then the government of France went even further, and they said children under three, actually, for the AAP, it was children under two. But the, the government of France said children under three, if you air any television on the public airwaves that's aimed at them, it's against the law. You've broken the law in France if you're trying to target little children, toddlers, preschoolers with your entertainment media because we know that it trains the brain and develops the brain in an imbalanced way. The limbic system becomes overemphasized. The frontal lobe becomes de-emphasized. The limbic system is where you have all your you know, emotional outbursts and all of your impulses and all of your you know, uh, the, the lusts of the flesh and, and fear and anxiety and irritability and anger and all of these things. You want that stuff under the control of the frontal lobe. So you want a strong frontal lobe, but this entertainment does the, does the opposite. I get into that in great detail in the full media on the brain seminar, but same thing with worldly music. It does the same thing. Now, this is some new information. I want to I emphasize the new information as much as I can here because I know a lot of people have seen media on the brain. By the way, if you haven't seen the full media on the brain seminar that I'm skipping most of the information of, the ABC's got it right now and they've got a discount on all of our DVDs, all the Belt of Truth Ministries stuff, media on the brain, raising the remnant, schooled, all of those are discounted up there just so you can be aware of that. But heavy social networking use. They found that people who are on Facebook a lot have a depression rate 
2.7 times the normal rate. Now that's huge, right? I mean, this isn't like a 24% increase. This is 2.7 times as much depression among heavy social networking users. And they found the more media you consume, the more bored you are and the less happy you are. That was an important finding because when I used to be a media addict myself, I grew up you know, watching whatever I wanted to watch and playing video games nonstop and all of this. I used to think that you, you had to let the kids, and I was the kid at the time, the kids have to do these things in order to get unbored, right? To deboredify them. You have to let them get into the entertainment so that they're not bored. No, 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 we got it backwards. The entertainment is the cause of the boredom because it gives you these high stimulating experiences and then all of a sudden you're like a drug addict. You need more of it, right? So I used to be a Mountain Dew addict and I thought that I needed Mountain Dew for energy. No, I didn't need Mountain Dew for energy. I needed to get off the Mountain Dew and eat a good fiber breakfast, high fiber breakfast and have a good night of sleep. That's what would have given me the energy. So it's the same thing here. We go to the stimulating media because we think it'll get us out of our boredom, but it actually leads to more boredom. Now check this one out. Three quarters of UK children spend less time outdoors than prison inmates. Survey finds. This was reported by the UK Mail. I could not believe what I was reading there. Three quarters of UK children spend less time outdoors than prison inmates. So we are just like locked in our little media cages in this prison of the virtual reality realm where we step into this alternate place and all of a sudden the world is passing us by and the birds are singing with no ears to hear them because we got our earbuds in with our video game console and the beautiful sunset is happening all around us and we're glued to the screen. We'll get into that nighttime use of media in a minute, but... Did you know that 96.6% of toddlers and preschoolers use mobile devices today? I could not believe that finding. It's like everything I said four years ago when I did Media on the Brain for the first time, it's like I had no idea how bad this was going to get four years later. It's unbelievable, the scourge that is taking place. Virtually all toddlers are using mobile devices now. And by the way, the American Academy of Pediatrics I was proud of them and I was cheering them on. I was their biggest fan saying, yeah, tell folks not to have their children doing any media, you know, babies and toddlers. They had that strong recommendation in the past. When they discovered this, they started rewriting all their recommendations because they said, we have to keep up with the times and we have to be credible. And so we're lowering some of our expectations. And I said, that's not science, right? So we got to go with reality and truth and science, not the cultural trends. But anyway, teenage obesity has doubled since the early 1990s. Because if we're just sitting doing media and not living life as a family and being outdoors and so on, you, you tend to not get that exercise. Extreme obesity in teens has tripled since the early 1990s. Again, these aren't small increases, 14% increase. You know, that, those are significant. You talk about them. This is a tripling in obesity. Unbelievable statistics. Now, this is an old study, so it's much worse than this now. But in 2010, 2011, they did a sample study of 44 uh, focus group families, and they found that 100% of them had their three to five-year-olds using media and that the majority of the parents never interacted with their children 
while their children were using those forms of media, whether it was, it was usually TV back then, today it would be more often the iPad or whatever. Zero interaction with the children. That was the majority of them. Some of them they would interact a little bit, but all of them had their kids using these forms of media, which we know are rewiring and alternately developing their brains so that they are coming up different than children have for centuries past. Now, it's not just the kids, though. Where do they get the idea from, right? The average American spends now 4.7 hours on their smartphone per day. That's one-third of our waking hours. We're on our phones. Now, by the way, if, if we're on it for like two hours, we're like, okay, good, I'm way beneath the average. No, 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 no. The Bible says those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. So don't ask, you know, where's the culture at? And I'm going to try and beat that by a little and be a little better. No, ask the Lord, where are my boundaries and balances here with this in terms of the quantity of time that I'm spending with my, my devices? Now, by the way, when you're on this little screen like that, well, a few things happen. First of all, your eyes, my dad's an eye doctor. He's been telling me about this for years. Myopia rates have doubled in North America since the 1970s. So a lot of this started with heavy television viewing that really ramped up in the 80s and 90s. But in just the past few years, we've seen a 37% increase in myopia. By the way, do you know what myopia is? This is nearsightedness. This is, I need glasses because I can't see to read what I'm reading here, right? So Asian rates, by the way, are as high as 80 to 90% of Asian, Asian cultures, which are using media even more, particularly South Korea and other places, uh, virtually the whole, the whole society is becoming blinded, right? Uh, that, that, uh, there's a spiritual analogy there too, isn't there? Um, not just needing literal glasses, but we're going to need the eye salve from God because we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked spiritually in this culture today. But something else is happening too, by the way. When, when we're on our phones, um, typically we're on them like, like this. I just got louder on my mic because my head went down. But, but you know the posture, right? I mean, I, I have to imagine like people that believe in evolution, they're going to have that picture, you know, of the, the little monkey on all fours and then he comes up, up, up. And then we've got, you know, homo, homo, homo sapien erectus or whatever they call him, you know, and here you stand. But now the next phase is we're all down like this, right? It's like what happened to the human race, what they would call species, right? Of course, we don't believe in evolution. That whole, that whole tra trajectory from monkeys is... It's nonsense. It's a joke. But, um, you know, so, so that, I guess, is the next stage in human development is we're going to be bending at, at the neck. And they're talking about teens now and children developing not straight spines. And that has, that has major effects upon the physiological health because when you, you, you come down like this, they call it hyperkyphosis. I was just talking to my friend John Copen, who's a uh, uh, physical therapist, and um, he said, yeah, that's a very serious thing because you know, your, your, your uh, spine develops a curvature at the top. Um, so these are some of the effects. But how about this, these, these studies that, that I just, just picked up off of the news? 50% of teens admit that they are addicted to their mobile phones. 50% admit, admit <laughs> that they are addicted to their mobile phones. Nearly one-third of, this is everybody, not just teens, but nearly one-third of us admit in surveys to checking our phones in the middle of the night with almost half admitting that they have the phone on next to their bed so that if a text comes in or a call comes in in the middle of the night, that it will wake them up and that they will be on their phone, right? 12% have 
have their phone on and under their pillow with the radiation and all of that's not very healthy either, right? So, you know, we're available 24-7 to the whole world for every ounce of our attention and energy that we make ourselves available and attentive to the world, to everybody, to extended family, to the whole social networking world with my thousand friends, for every ounce of energy and attention we have to that world, that is taken away from our families, isn't it? And there's a balance there, you know, but we want to bring our kids into our lives and into as much as we can here. Um, By the way, they did a study, how many friends are we actually capable of? You know, you got a thousand friends on social networking? That's kind of crazy sounding. Like, I don't really think I really know a thousand people or 600 people or 800 people or whatever the numbers are on Facebook. And they, they looked at cultural groups throughout history and how people tend to, you know, uh, you know have communities and families. And, and, and the, the, through, through cultural anthropology studies, they estimated that the, the average person has about a social, you know, a, 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 a capability for social connecting with about 150 people max. And then you got, you know, your immediate three to five closest, you know, family members. And then, then a second circle of, you know, social circle from there and a third from there. And then kind of people you, you kind of know up to 150, right? And, and those are, that's your social world. And, and that was through cultural analysis. Well, they, they recently did a study on people's cell phone calls, people they actually talked to on the phone over the course of a year or so. And they found that the cultural analysis was almost exactly correct that people typically will talk on the phone, and this is a a gauge of people you have an actual relationship with, right? Not friends on Facebook. You have three to five people that you actually talk to, and then then a couple of uh, layers of the onion outside of that, maxing out at about 150. And so we're kind of on social overload, right? I mean, the mom is there and, and with the kids, and there's 20 new posts from friends from high school and people from the other side of the world and you're keeping up on everybody's life and what they're doing all of a sudden you've neglected what's going on right beside you right because you've got 894 friends now um, some more statistics there 28 percent of people in this survey say that they feel lost is the word another spiritual analogy they feel lost if their phone runs out of battery now they're not talking about i don't have my gps it's just like this, this, this emotional feeling of I'm just lost without my phone because I love it, right? And <laughs> we're in love with them. So many people admit there's a new term. Like we have new words in, the, in, our, in our lexicon like tech neck and screen sightedness. But how about this one? These people who feel lost when they don't have their phone are, are suffering from FOMO. Have you ever heard of this one? FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, I might miss out on something. If a text comes in, I got to be right there available like my, you know, social, you know, credibility is on the line. I don't want people to think I'm derelict here. I want to be so connected with everybody. So I have FOMO. Nearly half of those surveyed said that they have never tried to limit the amount of time that they check their phone or their social media. So half of the people are just surrendered to this. Like, I'm just going to go totally on women impulse. Sad reality. Nine, excuse me, 9% reveal that they have tried to get away from being on social networking all the time. 9%. So 1 in 10, give it a go. Zero of them in the survey. Uh, statistically, none of them stayed away. They just kind of all drifted back into their previous, their previous life of being on it too much. Now there's another term too. 
that if you don't have your phone with you, that people reported that they have nomophobia, no mobile phone fear, right? I have fear of not having my phone with me all the time. Nomophobia. Wow. Now, teen and adult-related cell phone injuries are up 84%. Because if we're constantly looking down like this, or if many teens who lay in bed with it like this, they drop it on their face. That's a heavy, you know, that can hurt and leave a little shiner right there, right? Um, but you're walking like this and you walk into something. I mean, this is like becoming a kind of a joke, right, to our, to our whole society. But it's not funny when the guy in San Diego is on his phone and walks off a cliff and dies. Like, that's a really sad and serious thing. Or people who are walking into traffic all over the world getting hit by a car. These, these statistics are going through the roof. By the way, Australia and a town in Germany both just decided they're going to stop putting the um, traffic lights for walking across the street only up there. And they're going to put them down at the ground level. Because people, you know, it's like blinking hand, right? And then it turns into stop. And people don't see it because they're down like this. And they walk into the traffic and they die. So they're like, we've got to help these these horrible, pitiful people out who have just so glued to their phones, they're not even careful to walk into traffic. So I don't know if you call that enabling or you call that really caring about people's lives. It's probably kind of, kind of both, but we're meeting people where we're at here. Put the traffic lights right at their feet so people stop dying because they're on their phones. Oh man, it's like a mass mental illness has taken over our culture. In the UK Telegraph, we also read almost a third of children starting school are not ready for the classroom. Many lacking social skills, having speech problems, or not toilet trained, right? We're talking, you know, four or five-year-olds here, which, by the way, if you read in Spirit of Prophecy, we don't want to be putting our kids in school quite that early. We want to be waiting till eight to ten to have them with uh, the mother should be the only teacher until eight or ten. Come to the session this afternoon up at the um, Ad Building Chapel, and we'll talk a little bit more about that topic. But um, these, these early childhood kindergartners, in the UK, the teachers, the primary school teachers and staff are saying, we're seeing alarming changes and trends here with the kids coming into school with no social skills, with, no, with speech problems, and many of them not even potty trained. Teachers warned that children who suffer from a lack of attention and interaction from their parents, the parents, because their parents are obsessed with their smartphones, one head teacher said, there is limited parent-child interaction Four-year-olds know how to swipe a phone, but haven't a clue about conversations. That is so sad. I mean, the early years of childhood are a time for the children just to be interacting with their mother constantly, right? And this is how you develop language. This is how you develop interactive abilities. And they go to school and they don't have the ability to speak and to have any language skills. By the way, verbal skills are the foundation for all later intellectual development. So when you miss out on those in the first three years, four years, you're really, really missing out on something special and a critical key time window. Another primary school leader warned, we are having more and more children entering our early years stage with delayed speech. And the State of Education report found four-fifths of teachers were worried about poor social skills or children having speech problems. More than two-thirds had seen children lacking self-help skills. So they don't know how to do anything for themselves, right? They're, they're not really learning how to be human. And, and I, I've started to think about that concept. Like, we have, to, we have to relearn what it means to be human because we've become so, so digitized, so roboticized. But since the children are neglected by their parents and then they go into school not knowing how to talk, 
um, and, and we got all these kids and no, no, no adults caring for them. So our federal government has invested nearly half a million dollars in a um, project to create social robots. Little cute fuzzy robots that will take the place of a human being and children can interact with a robot instead. And the robot will tell the children their stories, the four-year-olds in preschool. It's like, what is wrong with us? I mean, let's reestablish the family. God had it right. When in Deuteronomy 6, he said, these commandments, parents, hide them in your hearts and talk about them with your children. As you rise up, as you lie down, as you walk by the way. Are you getting the picture that God's idea is that we actually do life with our children? It's kind of a novel concept in today's culture, but it's so real and basic and true and historic and traditional and every culture around the world has gotten this. It's not complicated, but our culture somehow has missed the boat as we've all become so busy and we've got a million things to check in on on our phones and we've now got maybe robots will just take it from there as our kids are raised by screens and teachers in the worldly schools and now robots. Now they did a recent report from the American Academy of Pediatrics that found that commercial media is radically transforming the way that children play. The the report found that even though free and unstructured play is essential to the cognitive, physical, social, and emotional well-being of children, the amount of time that six to eight-year-olds spend playing creatively has been declining dramatically over the 1990s. And for nine to 12-year-olds, over the same period, creative play has declined a staggering 94%. Again, not a small decline. And this is a you know, 15-year-old study. They reported on this 12 years ago. But over the 1990s, they were witnessing a dramatic decline in creative play. Now, children need to be imaginative and creative and take their truck and I'm going to do this and do that. And you see them do it, right? It comes naturally. But when all they do is watch TV and play video games, then that's all they know. And they act out the scenes that they watched in the show or the movie. You know, I'm Spider-Man and I'm going to do the exact same thing Spider-Man just did or whatever the example might be. Or or I'm going to play the video game and and then I'm just, you know, bouncing around the screen and and doing that. And well, 94% decline. That's almost... 100%, 100% decline would be totally annihilating all creative play. So this is totally annihilating all creative play except 6% remaining. That's a really, really alarming finding that they discovered. Recent, oh man, okay, so before I share that one. (laughs) um, So when we're all isolated into our own little virtual worlds, right? And we're not connecting person to person, human to human, mother to child, brother to sister, father to son, etc., we have a loneliness epidemic that is absolutely skyrocketing, right? I mean, the the millennial generation, the teens of today, and those who've just grown up in this social networking world, they're the most connected generation in history, right? They're, They're the most connected ever, but they're also the most isolated and lonely. And so we've now seen a, the development of, and I'm not making this up, cuddling with strangers craze among young adults particularly, where they actually have apps where you can go and find people who are just strangers and you want to just cuddle with them and just lay and snuggle, okay? This is, then that's it, right? I know that's kind of weird and creepy, but people are so, they just want to hug. And so they're like, let's go to a cuddling cafe. These are emerging around the world 
where you go to a cafe and you can just cuddle with people and just snuggle with them and get some human physical touch. Now, I know that's weird and creepy, but it shows that we should be getting that in our family, right? <laughs> there are actual professional cuddlers now where they're like, you know, I'll hire out my, my services and, you know, for, you know, $30 an hour or whatever, you know, we can have a cuddling session and, and you can, you know, kind of feel filled up in your love cup. And I'm like, wow, we are sick as a society when we need to hire somebody to cuddle with. Like, isn't that creepy? How about this one, though? The South Koreans have um, invented something so that if you're a little weirded out by cuddling with strangers, if you're lonely, this chair will hug you back. So after a long day of work with people you necessarily don't, you know, really connect with, you go home to your isolated, you know, uh, urban apartment and you turn on the sitcoms and like in the 90s, they found that people who watched the show Friends thought that they had more friends because they were actually like fulfilling like this friend connection, but it was all a counterfeit, right? So you turn on your favorite show and you do whatever, you connect with your video game friends, but you're still lonely. So you sit down in this chair and the arms in the back fold down. It's got these electronic, you know, uh, levers to it and, it and the chair hugs you and you can feel loved like do we need Jesus in this age or what? I mean, we need the Lord Jesus more than ever in history right now. Well, how about this from the Daily Mail? Would you marry a robot? Artificial intelligence will allow people to find lasting love with machines, expert claims. So they're talking to computer scientists, say humans will form close relationships with robots, and they would have cloud computing that could allow machines to become more lifelike. And there are also um, degraded immoral, lustful uh, manifestations of this that I won't get into in detail, but um, that's a very real thing, a virtual reality. I mean, what are you going to need marriage for now, right? I mean, men can have all of those fantasies fulfilled already through the, through the internet, but even more so through virtual reality and, and robotic um, uh, servants of this type. So experts predict that people could even go to court in a bid to marry their robots. And it might sound crazy, it might sound, it might sound like some kind of science fiction or like comedy show, but these are serious futurists and, and, and tech you know, forecasters, and they're saying this is what's coming down the pike. So what is the real agenda here? What is the real agenda? Well, the Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So we're not to be taken captive by this world. Have you ever read Romans 12, verse 2, that says, be not conformed to this world? I mean, God wants us to do it another way, right? He doesn't want us to be mind-controlled and brainwashed into this conformist way of doing things that our culture is sort of just handing to us as a pre-programmed template that we just download into our experience and we just follow through as everybody else is. No, 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 no. Jesus wants us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So are we thinking for ourselves? Are we asking ourselves, you know, what kind of interaction do I have with the media as led by the Lord? Prayerfully. And asking our family, you know, do you think I'm on my phone too much? Or, you know, I, I don't think any kid would say, Mom, I kind of wish you were on your phone more and paid less attention to me, you know? I don't think that's a very common thing, right? And so we ask the Lord and we ask our family and we, we look into this and, and search in, in, in our own selfish corners of our heart and say, Lord, take my thoughts captive so I don't just take the cues from the culture around me. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I got to share a quote from you that takes you back to the origins of modern media because this crazy world we live in today started about 100 years ago with the advent of modern media. And interestingly, by the way, do you know what year the telegraph was invented? 1844. Now, the telegraph, of course, was the birth of modern telecommunications and was a wonderful invention. But isn't it interesting that right in 1844, the very thing that the devil would be like his best tool in his toolbox 
modern media was born also in 1844, the same year that God began this Advent movement or, or you know, birthed the movement post-October um, 22, 1844 with the sanctuary cleansing beginning in heaven. So here we are at this epic time in earth's history. God has a plan, but the devil's trying to counter it, and we're not going to let him, are we? But here's the program from Edward Bernays, the founder of modern propaganda and public relations in media. He says, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, so he's like, okay, we, we've got a whole group mind, a collective mind here, and he says it's possible to control them and to regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it. So this is the whole system. This is a nefarious plot of evil from the devil himself over the last hundred years or so. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, writing in the 1920s after he was a propagandist for the U.S. government in World War I. And, and what he wrote became the Nazi template for propaganda also. So their very propaganda playbook came from Edward Bernays. Brilliant guy, one of the most influential people in American history. He says, we're establishing a system where we will control the group mind and they won't even know about it. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. The, the, by the way, that doesn't sound very democratic, I know, to have, to have these uh, like secretive, shadowy elites controlling the minds of the people. It doesn't sound like a free country, right? But what he's saying is, in a democratic society, you can't control people through external political structures of authoritarian power. So you have to get into their minds since you can't do it other ways. In a free society, you can't be a dictator. So you got to dictate to people's minds. In fact, he goes on and says that those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. So yes, we still have elections. Yes, we still have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But so many people are under a dictatorship of the mind that they are not free. There is an invisible government ruling over our nation and the whole world for that matter. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. These are the men we hand our children over to when we put them in front of the screen and let them play endless hours of video games and get involved with worldly media. We're handing them over to a deliberate, calculated plan to control the mass mind. By the way, back in the day, before I was around, in the 60s and 70s, it was not considered acceptable legally, morally, ethically to advertise your advertising campaigns directly at children like it is today. In the 1980s, that became tolerable and it became popular. And the guy who pioneered it was named James U. McNeil. And he said the following, the consumer embryo begins to develop during the first year of existence. Children begin their consumer journey in infancy. And they certainly deserve consideration as consumers at that time. So your little baby in your arms already has a target on his or her back on the part of these propaganda artists to reach them so that they will buy and believe and act and behave the way that the controllers of society and the social engineers want them to. By the way, it has really worked. Since 1984, they've been advertising directly to children, okay? And since that time, we have seen a 35% per year increase in children's spending. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but typically, spending in the whole economy grows like 3% per year. If it's a good year, you got 3.5% GDP growth, gross domestic product, an increase in spending of 3.5% for everybody on average. Now, if you take the children's demographic out, they have been growing at 35% per year. That's 10 times the rate of everybody else. 
So that puts it in a little perspective. That's huge right there. Children now spend $40 billion per year and influence their parents to spend another $700 billion. The, the, um, the what do they call them? The, the PR, you know, Madison Avenue advertising experts call this the nag factor. They, in boardrooms, they sit around. How can we get the children to nag their parents enough so the parents give in and buy their children whatever they want? Is this good for the children to be able to say, uh, I just ask for something and whine for something and cry for something or ask enough times and I get it? Of course not, right? This is indulgence. This is spoiling. This is going to ruin them. But it's working. It's working in our culture. The advertisers are doing a tremendous job. Now, there's this lady named Lucy Hughes, and she was asked about this, this whole system of manipulating the minds of children. And, and she says, somebody asked me, Lucy... Is that ethical? You're essentially manipulating these children. Well, is it ethical? She asks herself. And her answer is, I don't know. Now, that's an amazing thing right there, that you've got these people with, you know, high-salaried, high-intense Madison Avenue uh, advertising campaigns in corporate America, and they sit in their boardrooms, and occasionally the question will come to mind, should we really be doing this? And they haven't thought through it enough to have an answer. They go, I don't know. Moving on. So she goes on with a quote and says, but our role at Initiative Technology is to move products. And if we know you can move products with a certain creative execution placed in a certain type of media vehicle, then we've done our job. Children are tomorrow's consumer, tomorrow's adult consumer. So start talking with them now. Build that relationship with them when they're younger and you've got them as an adult. I hope that makes us get our defenses ready to go and say, you know, call the children. What was it in the, uh, in, in the time of the Exodus when, the, when they were to paint the, the blood on the doorposts of the houses with a bunch of hyssop? And it was gather your children in, right? And, and we are to have a sacred shield around our homes, says in Spirit of Prophecy, for the Lord is our shield and very great reward, right? And so we don't want to be exposing our children to these faceless strangers who are using hypnotic and mind-manipulative methods. In fact, I should share with you that thing about the hypnotic, and this is in the main media on the brain seminar, but if anybody hasn't seen this, you really need to have this tucked away in your, uh, your memory. Through the channel of mesmerism, we read in Science of the Times, through the channel of mesmerism, Satan comes more directly to the people of this generation and works with that power, which is to characterize his efforts near the close of probation. So this was a statement over a hundred years ago saying, when you get to near the very end of time, so as right now, watch out for the use of mesmerism. It's going to be a widespread deception of Satan. Now, I don't know a lot of people that go to a hypnotist, like a professional hypnotist, and sit on his couch and go through his, you know, uh, his, his, his routines of, of hypnotizing and doing um, you know, uh, therapy that way. I don't know a lot of people that go to, to do that formally. But the question is, are there other ways and means and mechanisms whereby Satan is hypnotizing the masses? Because if he isn't, then this statement isn't true. And I believe the statement is true. So there's got to be some ways... And here's how it is. Watch this. This is absolutely amazing. Hypnosis does not take place like with a watch in front of your eyes so much anymore. That, that, you know, that's kind of the, the traditional way, right? Like look into my eyes kind of thing. But no, th according to the modern texts on how you hypnotize, like Dr. Freetag's here, he says, light and sound do the work for deep relaxation in a fraction of time of traditional methods, 
by using specific frequencies of audio and visual input. So they're using frequencies of visual input, frequencies of a flashing light. Now can you think of a place perhaps where we put ourselves and our children on a daily basis where it has a frequency of flashing light aimed at your eyeballs, right? We're talking about our use of modern media here. And does this bear out in the research? Absolutely, because your brain can be in various different uh, brainwave frequency states. Like right now you're in beta waves. This is a good thing because you're thinking critically. You're engaged. Your moral filter is up. If, if anything that were ever to be said, when you're in beta waves, you're thinking through it thoroughly enough, hopefully based upon the Bible and the Spirit of God, that you would catch anything that is not true. But when you're in alpha waves, it's a slower brainwave frequency where you're down in this sort of new age, meditative, highly suggestible, dreamy, hypnotic state, and that moral filter comes down and you enter into that altered state of consciousness. Then anything can just be sunk right into the subconscious. And uh, so you probably have seen somebody anecdotally with that weird look on their face when they're watching TV, right? Or even playing video games, because video games change the brain waves as well. In fact, when video gamers stop playing, they, they lose their beta waves while they're playing. This is Dr. Akio Mori's research in Japan. Um, and he, he found that even after the game is turned off, their brain waves have, have been altered so that they stay in a, a different state, even while not playing, okay? So that's a very serious thing. Um, but but with, with, with television, I remember one time sitting watching TV with my wife. We used to be worldly and, and, and watch a lot of TV. And I was sitting next to her on the couch, and the commercials came on. And I knew that the commercials were especially like rapid frequency, you know, high intensity, hip-hop, you know, rapid drum beats that are, that are also altering brain consciousness and hypnotizing the brain. Like, they're using high-tech, 21st century, multi-billion dollar methods to alter your brain and enter into your subconscious. It's real, it's professional, it's legal, and they're doing it on a daily basis. And so I was kind of aware of that, but I was naive enough to think, well, as long as I don't watch the commercials, then I'm safe. Well, how foolish was that, right? Because the show is doing the same thing. Thing. Every three seconds, there's a frame of reference change, and so it's flash, 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 flash. It's not like watching a sermon or watching a DVD about media where there's that guy, you know, he's kind of just standing on that platform just talking and talking. You know, it can be kind of boring, right? But TV entertainment is not boring, right? Because they're trying to keep that, your, your, your eyes engaged in the screen because our eyes are trained to see motion and movement. And so they go, boom, move, boom. You know, again, 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 flash, flash, flash. And, and, and it, the brain doesn't know how to handle all that. It's like reality doesn't come at you that way. God didn't design us to have that high-intensity stimulation coming at us. So the brain's just like, I give up. I'm going into alpha. And one time I looked at my wife and I said, during the commercials, she was watching them. <laughs> what a derelict husband. It just put my wife in front of the TV. She's watching the commercials. Ah, anyway, that's, praise the Lord for conversion in your life, right? And so I said to her, hey, honey, what do you want to have for supper? And her response to me was literally just this. Like she didn't turn and look at me. She had that look, like that dazed alpha of, you know, I'm just in this, in this trance while watching television. In fact, that's what it is. Take a look. Oh, by the way, after the commercials ended, um, she, she turned and said, did you say something to me? So it's kind of like she snapped back into reality. Psychophysiologist Thomas Mulholland found that after just 30 seconds of watching television, the brain begins to produce alpha waves, which indicates torpid, almost comatose rates of activity. Alpha brainwaves are associated with unfocused, overly receptive states of consciousness. I should note that the goal of hypnotists is to induce slow brainwave states. Alpha waves are present during the light hypnotic state used by hypnotherapists for suggestion therapy. 
Viewers automatically enter a trance state while watching television. And this has been known for decades. This is not some brand new thing I'm bringing out here. In fact, I talked to a guy in media, and I was doing media on the brain at a uh, public venue. And the uh, news organization was called out to interview the guy doing these presentations at the community center. And he said to me, Scott, that thing that, this was the cameraman, he said, that thing that you share about the alpha waves and the hypnotic trance and all that, he's like, we all know that. I learned that in my 101 or you know, lower level communications class on philosophy of media. And so this is something we're all aware of. And I'm like, then why are you doing it? Now, most of them probably aren't doing it from some nefarious purpose. They're just, they have a job. They, they want to make the entertainment entertaining. But there's also nefarious things going on. And I want to share with you the testimony of Mark J. Ryan. I won't show you the video. This is on disc two of Media on the Brain. But um, Mark J. Ryan talks about how he's a professional hypnotist. And he says, all Hollywood studios are doing what this movie, Inception, did. And this movie, Inception, used hundreds of ways, he said, to enter into your subconscious and to hypnotize your brain. And he says, all Hollywood studios are doing the same thing. All of them. And I'm like, what? And by the way, he says it's a good thing. So this isn't some sort of, you know, he's exaggerating it to make him look bad. No, no, he's like, this is so great. This is the best movie I've ever seen. It's healing everybody's inner child and all this spiritualism mumbo jumbo. That's what hypnotism is. It's spiritualism. So he says it's a great thing and they're all doing it. But then he says, some of it is nefarious. Some of it is bad. And so I don't watch television at all. Now, he's not even a Christian. He's saying, I don't watch television because I know it's getting in there and affecting me, right? How much more should we protect our children from these things and put a sacred shield around our house? Especially when you hear the media executives say things like this. Robert Pittman, the founder of MTV, said, the strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. So he's saying, if you can get their frontal lobe turned off and their limbic system turned on, that's how you get them. And then he says, at MTV, we don't just shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. So, again, our, our, our parental defenses should come up a little bit, and not that we need to wage a culture war, and we're going to like shut down Hollywood, and these are the bad guys, and we're in some sort of war with them. No, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Our battle is against principalities and powers of darkness, not against these people. But this is, uh, this is truly what's going on. Now, um, I know that many times... We might say things like, oh, come on, uh, do we really have to go all out and, you know, give up all worldly media? It's like, we can watch some stuff that's not really that bad because it's not like we're going to go out and do it. I used to say that when I was a teenager. Uh, come on, I can listen to that and play this and watch that. And it's okay because I'm not going to go out and do these things. So it's, it's fine. It's acceptable. Now, there's some science that has debunked that. In Italy, they did a research on monkeys' brains, and they wanted to see what goes on inside a monkey's brain while he does various activities. One of the things that they had the monkey doing was eating peanuts, and they learned what goes on inside the monkey's brain. Oh, very interesting, these sorts of uh, neurological activity, and then they took a break, okay? And they took the peanuts, and they set them over here on the other side of the room. And now a scientist is eating the peanuts, and the monkey doesn't have anything to eat, and he's still strapped down being monitored, so now what all animals do, right? They'll just watch people eat, and, and, and it's an interesting thing to watch. So uh, the monkey is watching peanuts being eaten. Now, one of the scientists discovered that, that what's going on inside the monkey's brain while he's watching the peanuts being eaten looks kind of familiar. He says, well, wait a minute. This scan is an awful lot like the earlier scan. Let's put them one against another. And they, 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 they take a look at both brain scans, and they find that it's a carbon copy. It's the exact same neural signature, whether he's eating the peanuts or watching them being eaten. So what they called it was mirror neurons. And they said, whatever you see with your eyes, it's interpreted by your brain as if you are not merely seeing it, but doing it. 
So when our children or any of us watch or play out on a video game something that is contrary to God's law, it's not like we're just seeing it. Because by beholding, we become changed, right? Jesus says, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. If you hated somebody, you've committed the commandment against murder, violated it. And, and same thing here. When we watch something, our brain takes it in as if it is our experience, as if we are actually doing it ourselves. So it's not external to us. We empathize, right? We identify with whatever we see. And so let's take, take that you know, very seriously when it comes to what we expose our children to. But there's a little study that was done. It's not an actual study, but it's a little, uh, a little uh, laboratory of understanding with this Amish kid. Didn't watch any TV growing up. And you've probably heard stories like this before. It's all over the place. And he watched his first Western movie ever as a youth. And he had never watched any movies or anything. Now, a, a Western movie is pretty tame, right? It's not really that intense or shocking. But it was his first thing he'd ever watched. And when he saw somebody shot in that Western movie, he turned totally white pale and ran out of the house and threw up. Because it just shocked him and horrified him. When he saw somebody shot in that, he just said, oh my, this is horrible. And it just, it just physiologically affected him and repulsed him so much. And we look at that, and the first time I heard that, I'm like, that's kind of weird. That was my initial response. But then as I thought about it more, I said, wait a minute. He lived a more natural life growing up, never was exposed to this stuff, I didn't live a natural life. I was bathed in this from early ages. I wonder if we're all the weird ones and he's the normal one. That's the upside down world we live in. We're like the frog in the pot. Have you ever heard that analogy? We were put in the pot very, very low temperature and we don't really notice that it's you know, getting hotter because it's so incremental and slow, but slowly and slowly and slowly it turns up and, and, and pretty soon the frog passes out and boils and dies in there. And he never noticed that the water was getting warmer because it was slow, it was incremental, he was desensitized to his immediate surroundings. But the Amish kid is like the frog that was thrown into the pot of already boiling water. And he jumps right out of there. He's like, I want nothing to do with this. This is just as terrible. So we bathe ourselves in immorality, but then sometimes we uh, turn to Christian entertainment, assuming that's safe. Oh boy, this one really shocked me when I saw this. Convicted heavy metal Christian singer, Christian singer, admits being atheist, duped fans to sell music. ChristianNews.net, a so-called Christian heavy metal band whose frontman was convicted of attempting to hire a hitman to murder his estranged wife, has admitted that the band duped fans into believing that they were Christian in order to sell their music. Truthfully, I was an atheist. Tim Lambesis, the lead singer and founder of As I Lay Dying, told the Alternative Press in a recent interview, I actually wasn't the first guy in the band to stop being a Christian. In fact, I think I was the third. The two who remained kind of stopped talking about it, and then I'm pretty sure they dropped it too. The publication noted that his wife, Megan, had likewise divulged in divorce papers that Lambesis had become an atheist. Now, he goes on in the article and says, here's the really important thing, not just one guy or one band. He says... Nine out of ten bands that I toured with in the Christian rock touring circuit, it was the same thing. And if you get the, the, the backstory and the backstage info, and not to name any names, but basically there's a whole lot of scandalous stuff going on in the Christian entertainment industry. And so just to step into that, naively assuming it's safe, is not a good plan. By the way, we should know that the musical style is not pleasing to God also. 
Disc four of Media on the Brain takes you through musical composition styles and, and, and how to understand that and its effect upon the mind and its uh, sacred nature or lack thereof. But how about this one from Christian News? Kirk Franklin to appear... Now, Kirk Franklin is a prominent Christian gospel singer. Kirk Franklin to appear on Kanye West's gospel album with a whole lot of cursing. That's what Kanye West called it. He's a very, very intensely, uh, intentionally immoral, uh, anti-Christian rap artist, okay? Kanye West is about as bad as it comes with regard to his lyrics and what he's putting out there with Jay-Z and all these others. And he's putting out a gospel album. But he's calling it a gospel album with a whole lot of cursing because that's what they do in their hip-hop music. Now, that shouldn't surprise us to expect Kanye West to put out immoral stuff and we would have nothing to do with it. But maybe some of us were going, hey, Kirk Franklin and all of the you know, cool Christian artists, Kirk Franklin is now equally yoked here with Kanye West appearing on his gospel album with a whole lot of cursing. Not to criticize Kirk Franklin or make an issue out of any of these people. It's not the people that are the issue. They're public figures, so we want to you know, understand what's going on here. But the most important thing to understand is we've got to be protecting our children from the onslaught of things that we even think are safe. Now, how about TV shows that aren't necessarily Christian, but we look at them and we figure they're okay and acceptable? Like, I Love Lucy. Totally acceptable show, right? In general, it's just funny, innocent humor. Although somebody pointed out to me the other day, Scott, I knew it wasn't innocent. I didn't have to see the scene of a seance in the show, which they did have, totally not innocent, right? But they're like, every show, she's lying to her husband and deceiving him. And that's not acceptable. I'm like, you're right. Spot on. Thank you for that. So many of us were duped into thinking that that was okay because it's innocent. It's the olden days, right? It's the 50s. It's black and white. Therefore, it's okay. This is kind of how we sometimes think, which is just silly. But um, how did she make the decision to play this part in the show? It was the spirit of actress Carol Lombard who guided Lucille Ball into taking a chance and accepting the offer to star in I Love Lucy. The glamorous comedian who had died in an airplane crash in 1942 appeared to Lucy in 1951. So you know, this was not her friend because the Bible says that the dead know nothing, that they do not praise or give thanks or have hope that they are asleep. But it says here, her dead friend appeared to her and then because Lucille Ball accepted the spirit's urging to take a chance, honey, she made television history. So her the, the, the demon appeared to her and said, become Lucy, and I love Lucy. And then there's a seance scene, and there's all this stuff, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought this was innocent. I thought this was okay. How about this band from the music industry? So he said, I, we were trying to do witchcraft, trying to do witchcraft music. He also says, I'm doing the spiritual sound, a white spiritual sound, religious music. That's the whole movement. That's where I'm going. It's going to scare a lot of people. Boy, I, I, I probably was already avoiding that band, right? I mean, this is probably some like dark heavy metal, you know, uh, evil witchcraft band, right? No. You know who said this? was Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Now, I listened to the Beach Boys as a kid. Like, my dad would, he would play them. It's, you know, songs about surfing and, you know, driving down the beach in your car, right? And it's just like, it's, it's innocent stuff, right? So we, we go to the worldly media buffet and we think we can select things that are acceptable, but then we're like, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be at this buffet at all because I'm learning some things about what goes on on the inside that I would not have guessed and would not have known by my own discernment. So our discernment should say, let's leave that buffet and go take our kids to better places. How about this quote from Feruza Balk? She was an um, actress in the witchcraft movie called The Craft, and she says a lot of actors who, um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. Now, in the full Media on the Brain seminar, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of quotes of musicians 
and actors admitting that they are into demonic practices and very dark spirit possession and all this nastiness, okay? I'm sparing you that right now and just giving you this quote because all I need to know is this. Would all those actors like Denzel Washington and, and Robin Williams and all the others, and would all these singers like Jay-Z and Beyonce and the Beatles and all of them admit, and Michael Jackson, I mean, just go down the list. They all admit it openly, but not every person in the entertainment industry admits it because they're not all talking publicly about their private spiritual practices. But what the insiders tell us is a lot of folks in the entertainment industry are into spiritualism. Now, you might look at something like Disney and say, well, then finally, there's at least one, uh, one avenue of safe, happiest place on earth, kind of like, come on, we can just finally rest and lay down our guard because Disney has the best interests of our children in mind. I got you on the worldly music, and you know, we want to avoid constantly being on our phones and all that, but at least once a month or so, we can sit down and enjoy a Disney movie as a family completely naively trusting in people we don't know who are hypnotizing our brains and inculcating into our children worldviews and ideas. What are those worldviews and ideas? How about let's just take the movie Aladdin just for a second, okay? The, the plot of the movie goes like this. Aladdin is a professional thief. That means like the devil who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he's an endearing professional thief because when he steals, he gives the bread to a poor child or to his hungry monkey. And so we fall in love with this handsome, charming Aladdin. And he's so wonderful because he comes to Jasmine and they can teach a thing or two to her bumbling doofus father who doesn't know a thing or two, he doesn't know a thing about what, what she needs in life. He's got an idea of who she should marry, and he's wrong. So his authority, his law, his, his um, rule for her is spurned as Aladdin sweeps her off her feet, literally on a magic carpet ride, and now we're going to go against what your father has said. Are you catching the uh, rebellious tones here? And by the way, when you go on a magic carpet, that should, um, in, in, that should send a message to us about, you know, uh, should we have our children involved with magic? I mean, that would be spiritualism in itself, right? But the story goes on like this. He takes her and sings these words to her. She, he says, no one to tell us no or where to go. So, so the message of this song in this movie is no one can tell you no. You set your own rules. You set your own authority. So, wow, okay, that's pretty blatantly in your face. I mean, any parent reading those lyrics would go, okay, done, we're not doing Disney. Like, that's, those lyrics are in the song? That's a no-brainer, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're preaching to my children. No one to tell us no? Uh, yes, children, sometimes I will tell you no, because it's for your best interest, right? But it gets a little bit more insidious here when you realize that um, he sings to her these words. Uh, he takes her up on a high elevation. See if you remember something like this from the Bible. He takes her up on a high elevation and he sings to her, I can show you the world. And he says, it is splendid. I can show you the world and it's splendid. Wait a minute. I've read that in Matthew 4. The devil took Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him the world in its splendor, word for word. I'm going, okay, is that an accident? That could be a coincidence. It's possible. But then I look on in the, in the, uh, in the song and I'm going, okay, he also sings to her, let me show you this clip, this video, uh, or, I mean this image rather. He takes her um, up above the clouds. Now who was it that said, I will ascend above the clouds of heaven? This is Lucifer in Isaiah 14. So he, got, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's, he's a professional thief, right? Uh, he's going to show her the world in his splendor. The message is no one to tell us no. Takes her up on a high elevation, 
and, and says, uh, and, and, and then above the clouds also. And he, he also sings to her, follow your heart. When's the last time you let your heart decide? The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. But the message here is to follow your heart, not the rules of your father, but follow your heart. But then um, it, it goes on, just in case we don't quite catch who he is at this point, <clears throat> he sings to her, I'm like a shooting star. I've come so far, I can't go back to where I used to be. Wait a minute, I know who that's talking about. O Lucifer, son of the dawn, morning star, how thou art fallen from heaven. A falling or shooting star. Who's come so far that he can't go back to where he used to be? Now, this is like, have you ever heard the analogy of, you know, you're walking through the woods and you see a fence post in the ground, but it's only one of them? And you're like, that's kind of weird. Maybe there was a fence here, but I don't know. This is just a random post. I'm moving on. I'm not going to draw any conclusions. But then you look down and you see another fence post. You're like, oh, interesting. But then you see a third and you're like, oh, those three line up. Okay, we just saw like eight, okay, right? So it's kind of looking like this is uh, the devil's behind this in some way. I don't know if the songwriter knows the Bible or if this is some sort of, you know, spiritualist uh, in infiltration into the, the artistry of it. But whatever that is, we're seeing it for what it is. But now this next one, it's like you just walk right into the fence. You're like, oh yeah, there is a fence there, okay? Here it is. He swoops down into a garden and he plucks a piece of fruit and hands it to Eve. I'm sorry, Jasmine. Jasmine. Um, and then he sings to her, I can open your eyes. What did the devil say to Eve? Uh, your eyes will be open, knowing good and evil. So that was all pretty blatant, but it doesn't get much more blatant than the lyrics in Frozen. She sings, I quote, There's no right or wrong. No rules for me. I'm free. Did you catch that? Like how much more clear and in your face can it get and all the children are watching this and we're all, you know, affirming of it and approving of it. Let me say those lyrics again in the song. Because somebody said, Scott, you got to look up Frozen. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I guess I better learn about it for the sake of the kids that are being exposed to it and help warn people about it. And I don't go home and actually like study everything that's going on in the media. It's not my idea of a good time. I, I'd rather, you know, be out outdoors with my kids and read the Bible and study positive things. But um, the, the lyrics go, there's no right or wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. So true freedom is found when you have no rules and there's no right or wrong. That's an amazing statement. Okay, can I give you two slides of, uh, of, of something better? And, and, and I, I know I'm, just, I'm out of time, so these slides will go quickly. But by the way, this is kind of like a springboard into this afternoon at 3.30. This afternoon at 3.30 in the admin building chapel, I'll talk more about these, these principles of how to do life. How, how to be human again. And it's actually kind of a parenting session outside of Gail's purview. It's just kind of how it landed. But um, uh, it, let, me, let me share you the, the end of this quote and then we'll do the beginning, okay? It says, there would now be a more elevated class of youth to come upon the stage of action to have influence in molding society if, uh, if something happens. And we'll see what the something is in a second. But there would be a more elevated class of youth. They would have perseverance, fortitude, and courage to surmount obstacles and such principles that they would not be swayed by a wrong influence, however popular. Okay, so what's got... What, you, this is going to be something big. I mean, this is going to build the greatest generation of youth ever, right? This has got to be something super amazingly crazy. Watch this. Had there been agricultural and manufacturing establishments connected with our schools and had competent teachers been employed to educate the youth in the different branches of study and labor, devoting a portion of each day to mental improvement and a portion to physical labor. Then, you would have an elevated class of youth who would have the perseverance and fortitude and be these amazing, great Christians. I'm like, really? Just like, working with their hands? So, in the Media on the Brain seminar, it's kind of like what not to do. So let's, found, let's find 
something real to do. Agriculture, building things, doing things real in the real three-dimensional, actual, non-virtual world with our children. I've come to believe that other than Jesus Christ and the Bible, the most important word in family and parenting-related issues is the word with, or maybe the word together. When we are with our family, instead of having this isolated experience of all being in these different media directions that we've seen, whether it's doing real things outdoors, finding a once again, rediscovering what it means to be human, Last quote, if the youth can have but a one-sided education, which is of the greater consequence? A knowledge of the sciences with all disadvantages to health and life or a knowledge of labor for practical life? We unhesitatingly answer the latter. If one must be neglected, which we don't need to, but hypothetically, if one must be neglected, let it be the study of books. Isn't that an amazing statement? It's like doing real things in the real world with our hands, with our children, together, is really, really, really important. Now, these quotes were in the context of school, of true education, schools of the prophets. But how about those of us with, with, with our children in the homes who are not yet age 8 or 10? Or how about we're, we're with our children in the afternoons and in the evenings and on the weekends and during the summer and, and, and. And, and what are we doing, right? Are, are, we, are we really, really connecting? Really, really connecting? I want to I urge any parents in the room to view... The, the series called Raising the Remnant. Because I, I feel like, I, you know, when I share the media on the brain, it's like we just did an hour and 15 minutes of what not to do. And it's kind of like, oh, where do we go from here? Go to the rest of Gail's sessions. Wonderful, wonderful speakers this week telling you how to have some tips on how to do things differently. I've also got Raising the Remnant. It's six DVDs now. It's an expanded edition for, for those who have the old one that was only one disc. This is six DVDs. The last two discs are, uh, are, are used to be called How to Raise the Remnant as a separate uh, separate title. Oh, I'm sorry. I have them here. Cammy brought them <laughs> so that I could show them to you. And um, also, so Gail can do her drawing. So why don't you come on down, Gail, for that? This is the one I'm doing this afternoon, by the way, up at the Ad Building um, Chapel. And uh, it's about true education. True education. How home education in schools of the prophets will produce the last generation. So I'm very excited to do that one. Um, the um, Raising the Remnant one, I do not have here. You can imagine it in my hand. It's called Raising the Remnant Deluxe 2016 Edition. It's brand new. just came out a couple of months ago. And uh, I highly, highly recommend that. So it's like the rest of the story on what to do as the Lord has called us to. Here's Captivated for uh, the drawing. And here's a Media on the Brain Mini for the drawing. And as we close out with some business, why don't I just have a prayer to close out the audio for those tuning in on the MP3, and then um, we, can do the, uh, we can do the drawing after, after that. So let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for something better. Most importantly, in the person of Jesus Christ, who has purchased us with his own blood, and that we are his prized possession, and our children are as well. May we treat our children as younger members of the Lord's family, as, as true children of you, so that we can see in them uh, the promise of a hope and a future if we will uh, find your will for our lives to, to become human, to become uh, relational families once again, reconnecting and, and protecting our children from the onslaught of the devil in this degenerate age. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.